With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, I visit with Piero Molinero, Senior Managing Director at K2 Intelligence Finn, Head of Financial Crimes, Risk and Compliance for EMEA, and Joanne Taylor, Managing Director at K2 Intelligence Finn. We take a deep dive into the FinCEN papers. What are the FinCEN papers? What is the meaning of the release of these documents? How you can use these going forward in your financial crimes compliance program and the positives from this release of information. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Piero Molinario, uh, Senior Managing Director at K2FIN and Joanne Taylor, Managing Director at K2FIN. And we are going to take up a topic that has greatly interested me, and that's the FinCEN paper. So first of all, Piero and Joanne, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with me today. I was wondering if you guys could detail your roles with K2 Intelligence FIN. Sure. Uh, perhaps I will start. So um, uh, I had the financial crime risk and compliance uh, practice uh, for the EMEA region. Um, and as such, I'm based out of the London office. Uh, we work extensively um, in, in um, a number of countries in Europe, but also um, in uh, uh, the Middle East and, in fact, in Africa quite a bit. Um, with uh, respect to um, regulatory matters, um, and, and therefore anti-money laundering, sanctions and com- sanctions compliance, anti-bribery and corruption, as well as fraud prevention. Um, and I'll let Joe introduce herself. Thanks, Piero. Um, so I'm an MD in the London office of K2, and in my role, I work on investigations um, across the space, um, particularly focused on anti-bribery and fraud. And I also work on the financial crime compliance advisory side with Piero. So, Piero, if maybe I could start with you on uh, almost the basics. What are the FinCEN papers and what is or are or was the significance of their release? The case of the FinCEN files relates to more than 2,100 suspicious activity reports or SARS, as, as, as we call them, which were filed by over 90 financial institutions with uh, the United States Financial Crime Enforcement Network, um, and then have uh, been leaked and become object of an investigative uh, journalism um, um, effort uh, by the same international consortium of investigative journalists uh, that brought to us the Paradise in Panama Papers, um, as well as other media partners, quite, quite a few, actually over 188 countries. The documents were initially provided by BuzzFeed's news, uh, but the actual source um, of these documents um, has yet to be identified. Uh, clear, clearly, given the sensitivity of the information, um, this is uh, uh, this leak is quite unique. Uh, so the data made available um, on the website of the ICIJ 
uh, contains information for 35 billion worth in transactions. Um, and these transactions date between uh, the year 2000 and 2017. These were transactions and uh, behaviors that were flagged as suspicious. And um, uh, what is uh, very interesting in this case is the fact that on the same website, there's also an interactive map uh, that one can uh, use to navigate through this data, or at least a, 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 as of today, um, a portion of this data. Um, and it displays select cases with details about the originator and the beneficiary of the, um, uh, of the transactions. Um, and, and the stated objective of, of illustrating and providing this information on that website and, uh, and this functionality is to illustrate how potentially dirty money flows from country to country around the world via U.S.-based banks. So it's, it's very interesting in terms of what has been provided um, and as well as the uh, manner in which it has been provided, which, which is this functionality that allows you to drill down to the country um, to see the flows in specific banks and the specific transactions involved. Since um, the leak, um, which, which is now um, about 15 days old, uh, many stories have emerged detailing the information of the SARS uh, the suspicious dictator reports involved. Um, and there's been many um, uh, articles uh, that have come out. As now the focus, uh, at least in my view, is is on the banks, the banks involved in these transactions, the banks that actually reported the suspicious, the suspicious activity. But I do anticipate that the role of the supranational bodies uh, like FATF and Egmont, as well as the governments um, of the countries involved um, and the enforcement entities of those countries um, will uh, will also uh, become an important part of this discussion. If I may, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the significance because it really is, as I said, a unique incident. So the leak is very significant in my view. Uh, by way of background, we're talking about financial institutions worldwide, which are obliged to report the the suspicious activity they identify to the respective uh, local authorities through the what we said the SARS um, and certainly this is a part of the um, part, part of this um, this important matter but there's also the role played by the authorities which are supposed to investigate or otherwise make use of the information that is reported to them. Um, and um, all of this um, uh, reporting of suspicious activity um, and, and then investigating of it um, is required to happen confidentially and for good reason. Um, this is a, a, a common um, regulatory requirement. The sharing of the reports, the information within the reports, or even the knowledge that a report has been filed uh, may actually put at risk those reporting and can even potentially compromise or hinder the, in, in some way, the, the authority's investigation of the underlying um, suspicious activity. Um, and, and, and therefore, it, it puts a risk that the determination of if and when and how the authorities need to intervene. So um, it, 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 th this is a very significant fact, the fact that they have been released and that evidence is uh, available on the financial institutions that have uh, reported these, these events.
the Fins and Files League is, is, is really exceptional. And I would say, I would add, unprecedented, uh, even for a global news group such as this one. Um, so this information, as I said, has always been considered and treated by compliance professionals. The reports flag the patterns for potential investigation by law enforcement, and uh, I, I'd like to uh, make this absolutely clear. They aren't necessarily indicative of criminal conduct or other wrongdoing. Rather, um, as, as per the name of this report, they reflect the compliance officer's suspicions. In other words, they're not supposed to be considered as hard evidence for signaling um, out condemning or, or, or making any judgment uh, on the parties involved, at least in my view. Um, and unfortunately, this is exactly what appears to have happened and to be going on at this time with the Vincent Fire Leaks. Uh, as I said, the focus at this time is on those who have, in fact, submitted these reports, which is what is required of them. Joe, literally since this story broke, I've been saving up this question for you. And maybe a couple of questions, because I really wanted to put to you, did this release of information hurt financial institutions? Did it hurt regulators? Did it hurt us, uh, other stakeholders, the public? And and really, I just wanted to get your views on uh, how that may have shaken out. Thanks, Tom. I think to take the financial institutions first, obviously, we've got reputational risk issues due to the press articles Piero's referred to. And many of the banks have issued statements, um, but of course are not able to comment specifically on the SARS, which are the subjects of the press articles. We've now got a risk for banks of class action lawsuits brought on behalf of investors who um, have suffered losses due to the fall in the bank's share price as a result of these leaks. But I actually think the impact on banks is probably something that will will go on behind the scenes in that banks will have lots of questions from their home regulator. So European banks um, will have home regulators who were not aware of the banks having filed some of these SARS with FinCEN. And so the banks will have questions from their home regulator about the, the SARS that are the subject of the press articles. And also the home regulator will, I think, be seeking reassurances that the firm's SAR framework is operating correctly and that the clients that have been the subjects of SARS um, ha- have been reviewed in accordance with requirements periodically and that their um, transactions are, are being monitored. So I think there will be a lot of pain for banks behind the scenes. And I also think banks will be having to revisit the SARS they filed with FinCEN um, to look at whether these controls have worked effectively, but also to look at whether that client relationship, if it's still ongoing, is is still within the bank's risk appetite. What about the regulators? So with regulators, of course, FinCEN have said, look, this is a crime. It impacts national security. Um, it's a really serious matter. And as, as um, Piero said, compromises, potential law enforcement investigations and so on. I think, obviously, FinCEN have proposed reforms um, around the time of, of these leaks. And what we see in the UK is is also that um, reforms were proposed around the time of the leaks, respect of Companies House, um, which is the UK Register of Companies. Um, and what we're seeing here is that um, the changes contemplated are to help address fraud and money laundering risks. 
um, and basically to have better data integrity in terms of what's filed at company's house. So I'd flag a couple of um, uh, examples of the proposed change. So introducing compulsory identity verification for directors and people with significant control of companies and an obligation that firms which fall under the money laundering regulations here in the UK have to report discrepancies between that public register of companies and the information they hold on their own customers. These are all very positive um, reforms in my view. So with um, some of the feedback uh, by authorities, Piero, do you see uh, the regulators using this release as really a, a communication or even an information point to move forward? I, I certainly hope so. Um, I, I think I've seen um, this um, th- this event being taken as, as an opportunity to say that there's more to be done, um, that this is an indication that um, money laundering is, is really widespread um, uh, to an extent that um, is, is, is perhaps even um, – uh, greater than, than 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 sometimes we think. Um, I, I think that uh, you, you know, on 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 a positive note, um, Pete. In any way, banks or or refrain have banks refrain from continuing to comply with these regulations to identify suspicious uh, activity um, and to submit the SARS. Um, but from uh, and, and and certainly. Um, you know, to stay out of, of trouble, trouble, if you will, if you will, um, in relation to the risk of non-compliance. Um, but, but I think, uh, more work needs to be done. Um, and, and this work is, is really also very much on the regulatory and enforcement front. So from this perspective, we can say this is a, a great opportunity for, uh, all those involved, um, with the process of assessing and then investigating and then um, prosecuting um, those involved in, in potentially suspicious and, and, and then when determined actual um, money laundering. Um, and, and so I'm talking about the national governments and I'm talking about, again, the, the sort of the um, typically the, the financial integrity, the financial uh, investigative units of the various countries as well as the prosecutors, they, they, they could really uh, sort of use this as an opportunity to request additional resources um, for what is often seen as of sort of the, uh, the less effective part of the process, uh, the actual um, assessment of these SARS uh, and, and then the investigation. Um, and in addition to asking for additional resources, coming up with new approaches to reporting on these and to making uh, good use of the information in the aggregates that these SARS provide. In fact, one of the um, proposed amends- amendments in the U.S. goes along this way. FinCEN is, in fact, saying that they will provide direction on the basis of the findings of the aggregate um, SARS that are filed in the U.S. Um, every two years. And this is one of the proposed amendments, so we'll see. But um, certainly that is the direction that the industry in my view, uh, would like to go. The more use, more feedback from these SARS, more, more use of these, of the information in these uh, SARS. Um, what else? The, the clearly, I mean, as with any system, uh, you know, the new challenges that, that 
will require new solutions um, and, uh, as I said, appropriate resourcing. Um, but I, I expect that we will see perhaps um, more prescriptive guidance um, coming out of this, which which might be a positive on on aspects like what constitute a, a valuable SAR and maybe differentiating <laughs> more clearly what is expected, not just in terms of data fields, but in terms of um, the type of valuable information that um, authorities are seeking. Um, and perhaps maybe even more um, proactiveness um, by the industry, um, you know, in terms of uh, when they're required to freeze assets as opposed to just file SARS and, 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 and continue to, to monitor the behavior. Um, and I, I think these are, these are all positives that may come out. And as I said, uh, um, I expect um, some, some of this, in fact, most of, of, of what should come out to come out from the regulatory side and the government side. Jill, if I could ask you here in the United States, um, even with anti-bribery, anti-corruption compliance, there's actually an ongoing dialogue. There's an ongoing dialogue by people like you and me, service providers. There's an ongoing dialogue with the regulators in the United States, the form of the Department of Justice. There's an ongoing dialogue with companies, uh, commercial corporations, financial institutions. Uh, is that uh, that ongoing dialogue also ongoing in the United Kingdom to really bring all of the stakeholders together, the financial institutions, the regulators, the people who, who work in this space like yourself, to see if we can move towards uh, a more efficient or a more effective system? Well, there are examples of um, collaboration between the public and private sector. Um, for example, there's a group called Gimlet where information is shared um, amongst the banks um, on, on, I believe, a Chatham House basis um, in order to inform intelligence gathering and in, in conjunction with law enforcement. Um, but I, I think what I flag in this regard is a recent um, set of proposals from the Law Commission in the UK um, around reform of this regime. So following a, a consultation process, there was a report um, published which, to Piero's point, made some recommendations about perhaps more prescriptive guidance around SAR filing. Because one of the issues we have in the UK is that because the test um, is, is quite a low bar um, for filing a SAR, and this means that a lot of companies end up filing multiple SARs because they take a very sort of defensive, conservative approach. Um, and so the Law Commission recommended... Um, better guidance for the sector um, with a focus on the test for suspicion in particular. Um, and also, again, to this point around um, the cross-sector approach, proposed an advisory board that would monitor the effectiveness of SAR reporting and advise on improvements which can be made. And then to Piero's um, other point around whether to freeze the, the account or not, um, another recommendation was that there should be a, a way in which banks can ring fence the suspected illegit illicit funds, um, but then also continue to provide access to money which is seen as legitimate. And that's something which is welcomed by the financial institutions because it reduces litigation risk. So there are some good discussions, I think, happening in this space. 
And I think the positive we can take from this leak is that those discussions will come back into the spotlight, <laughs> given all the competing of you know things going on in the world. Uh, perhaps these these reforms and and the timetables will be reconsidered in light of this this leak. And if I could end with maybe a discussion of the following. Um, I see this, uh, the release of these papers, uh, a couple of different ways. One is an opportunity for reform, and, and you both have talked about that. But I actually saw this, and taking a deep dive into it, that compliance functions in banks are doing their job. They may not do it perfect, but they're actually doing their job. And, of course, the, the SARS that were released was over $2 uh, trillion, or excuse me, $2 billion in money laundering, but it showed to me the compliance teams, compliance uh, solutions, and compliance personnel are all doing their job. I, f- I found that to be a, a huge positive, and I was wondering if, if I'm just I have too rosy an assessment, or, or what uh, what you guys might think about that. Yeah, I think it, it, you know it's fair to say, and actually, some of the banks have commented on this in their statement. The huge amount of resources that that go into these types of functions within banks can't be underestimated. Um, you know, the need to, in some European jurisdictions, to file SARS within a matter of, you know, a handful of days from alert through to SAR filing creates an enormous um, resource uh, requirement on banks. So I do agree with you, you know, on that, Tom. Yeah, and, and, and to echo that, I, mean, uh, I recently um, wrote um, a, a commentary on the Fins and Files uh, focusing exactly on that, that uh, on the one hand, one can stop and say, okay, well, banks are involved in many transactions and in many, in, in a number, like quite a bit, if you, if you look at what has been leaked of uh, potentially suspicious transactions, actually suspicious transactions. Um, but you can't stop there. It also shows how much work is going on behind the scenes in so many countries, um, in so many financial institutions. Um, and this is, uh, in my view, uh, a lot of great work by professionals who are putting in a lot of time and resources um, into coming up with, uh, um, uh, I, I want to say, at least good suggestions of, 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 of you know, and valuable information um, that really needs to be looked at. And, and as I said before, I think it's, it's a question of... Um, uh, taking a closer look at the resources dedicated by the individual governments around the world and also at uh, the approach that uh, is taken for SARS in general um, at a supranational um, uh, level, because clearly we're looking at uh, flows of money from country to cr- country and, and, and the transactions that have been leaked, suspicious activity reports that have been leaked um, are um, demonstrating that it's it's you know from one country to other countries um, and back uh, and, uh, and so it is really an international effort and we have to uh, take a top down approach um, and that's why I was mentioning FATF and Egmont as well as the individual um, uh, governments um, uh, with especially with uh, large financial um, systems like the UK and the US. Well, Joe and Piero, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on this topic. Where could they go? Um, thanks. Thanks, Tom. Well, uh, uh, your listeners, they could visit our website, k2intelligence.com, or you can find us on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Thanks again. So thank you all uh, 
so much for taking the time to visit with me. And uh, as more information comes out, I may ask to call upon you in the future to see if we can uh, unpack what may hold for all of us. Great. Thank you. Thank you. It would be a pleasure. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. I've linked to the K2 Intelligence FIN website and then two resources, a white paper and a client alert that they put out around the FINs and paper. So check those out in the show notes. This presentation of the FCPA Compliance Report has been a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is also a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to visiting with you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.